This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our guest is Dick Wybrow. Dick is a best-selling author of more than a dozen humorous supernatural thrillers. Sounds like he's invented a new genre. A former stand-up comedian and major market radio host, Dick has spent the majority of his life avoiding proper jobs. Those are his words, not ours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Mary Elkins. Dick's latest novel. Kane has been a top Amazon bestseller since its publication. Book three in the Wolfware series is out on December 29th. Welcome, Dick. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and, and hello from sunny, summery New Zealand. Yeah, isn't that wild? You're in a yes. different season. You're on a different yeah. day than we are. Right. It We're is recording it this is on a weird, different day. Though. It yeah. is weird though because celebrating Christmas when it's warm, yeah, and people are in shorts doesn't have quite the same feel. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you should be shivering, and there should be a chance of frostbite uh, if well, you're celebrating Christmas. In Los Angeles, we often get an 80 degree Christmas day. Yeah. So we do. There you go. I don't think we will this year, though. Yeah. It's- well, Dick, would you tell us about your background, please, and how you came to writing? Humorous supernatural thrillers, right? Uh, yeah, uh, so so I was a real shy kid, um, and I and I, I guess I kind of lived as a lot of shy kids do. I lived in a bit of bit of an internal world, and I was living in well with the family. I was living in Canada until I was nine years old, and we moved down to New Jersey. And um, whereas Canada, I felt at the time this would have been in the late seventies, um, kind of more reserved. And when I got to the United States, it was like, yeah, that's not going to work here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and there was just gregarious, interesting people around me. And so I had to find a way to be able to speak into that world. And, and so uh, what it ended up doing is I found that humor was a way to be able to protect myself in some way against other folks. And I don't mean in a dangerous way, just it was a way to be able to, you know, when I get into a conversation, if people get personal, whatever it might be, I could use humor to deflect. If there were confrontations, because this was high school and junior high school, um, you could diffuse sort of arguments. You could, you could, it's a complete power shift. If you get somebody to laugh, then you're in control. It doesn't matter how big the other guy is, if you can make them laugh. And I learned that early on, purely out of self-defense. <laughs> it wow. was humor was a survival technique for me. And so so then as I got older, I started writing, um, but it was difficult to get published. And so what I did, I had this idea. Well, you know, if I got on stage and did stand-up comedy, anything I wrote that afternoon then gets published that night. 
And so mm -hmm. I was publishing every evening, uh, doing wow. stand-up comedy in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I trend, I, from there, I got into radio, did radio for about a dozen years. And then, then I popped into television. And the latest show, which just wrapped up yesterday, by the way, um, I was doing a news comedy show, uh, primetime in New Zealand for the last seven years. Wow. Um, and then now I'm really embracing, we're talking about, you know, uh, late bloomers. I'm now embracing, I have been writing for the last couple of years, these books, but I'm, I'm going full-time author actually as of today. So it's oh, pretty exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. How good job. How, yeah. How exciting. Yeah. Well, and no, no yeah. more TV and, and you don't want to do that anymore. Is it, and was it a comedy show? What was it? It was it was news and comedy, so it was kind of like New Zealand's. It's a little bit like New Zealand's version of, say, you know, like a John Oliver or something like that. Uh, but uh -huh. it wasn't as much writing. We had guests. Um, I did a good number of the interviews, uh, which were put into the show. Um, so I got a chance to speak with uh, really amazing people. But yeah, in in coming here, it was you know to the Kiwi sense of humor is quite different. It's it's a lot more subtle than we're used to because I grew up in the United States and for the most part, I consider myself American, even though I was born in Canada. Um, but mm -hmm. so I had to find a way to be able to take my style and get it sort of square hole and circular peg because <laughs> it kind of fits uh, and then try to make that work. And it seemed to work. We did really, really well. Well, congratulations. Great. Well, back to your book writing now that you've become a full-time yeah. author. How do you yeah. write books that make people, make people laugh out loud? I mean, what is you it You know, you it's funny. I do. A lot of people are like, they, and I did this too, is you write to think, what will people like? Or, you know, what might sell in the market? And I wrote two-thirds of a trilogy doing it that way. And then the first book, unfortunately, and I mean unfortunately, the first book got optioned. And so um, these guys from Circle, Circle of Confusion, who later on ended up doing The Walking Dead, they optioned my first book. And so that was validation. Oh, I must be doing this right. But in all reality, mm -hmm. I was writing something that other people might enjoy rather than what I enjoy. And so that the agent boggled that a bit and that didn't quite work out. And I fell out of love with that particular process uh, some years ago. But then I started mm -hmm. writing the stuff I wanted to write. And my wife was a big part of that. I'd come home um, one day from working television. I was at CNN at the time and mm. 50 shades of gray was really big at the time. <laughs> and like, like any other author, I was like, how could she be doing so well? And, and I hadn't read the book. It wasn't fair to me to judge. And how could you do so well in this? And so I made some joke to her and I said, I should do like one of those mashups. Like they have with zombies. I'll do 50 shades of gray matter because zombies eat brains. <laughs> and, and my wife goes, yeah, do that. And I said, no. She goes, you do that. That one might sell. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And I started publishing it on Amazon. Uh, but it, it, for the first time, I was writing something that I just wanted to write. And it wasn't like I love zombie stories because I didn't. I just like writing humorous scenarios. I like writing realistic characters and fun dialogue and that sort of thing. You know, the dialogue that I had really learned from doing radio over the years and sort of internalized that. And then mm -hmm. I did it as this kind of a, a five book series on Amazon starting in August. And I didn't at that point even care if people picked it up. So 50 book here, 58 page book here. And then in September, another 45, 50 page book altogether. They call it to about 220 pages or something. But then something crazy happened in, in the third one. People started reading it and commenting and reviewing. And 
And and people were responding, oh, I love this. I laughed at this. And it's a goofy book. I don't recommend it to anybody, to be honest. It's a very goofy book. But by the end of that year, with all five of those parts into one book, it became the number one comedy bestseller on Amazon for December of that year. Wow. And, and mm-hmm. it was a real awakening for me. Like all these years I've been trying to write, well, what do people want to read? And the moment I started writing what I wanted to write, what I might want to read, then mm-hmm. that worked. And so that's, that's if anybody asks for advice about how do I start a book, is just write what you like. Don't try and fit the market. Don't try and chase after that. Write something that you would like to read and just go from there. Because if nothing else, then you've got a book to read when you're done. <laughs> Even if yeah. you're the only reader. And if yeah, it's I yours, know. you read it like 900 times. <laughs> exactly. Why not? While right? you're this editing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, how does a Canadian who lived in the U.S. end up in New Zealand? Well, my father, um, when he was 18 years old, he flew to the United States and um, he wanted to go to the U.S., but they have a quota system or had a quota system. And they said, ah, go up, go up to uh, Canada. They'll take anybody. And up there he met my mother. And uh, and so I have through that, I have what's called citizenship by descent. And so when I came knocking on the door, it's kind of hard to actually immigrate into New Zealand. When I came knocking on the door, they're like looking at the paperwork like, oh, we, we, I think we have to let him in. And so uh, so my <laughs> wife and I uh, came here about 11 years ago or so. And uh, and I do have Kiwi family here. In fact, I just held uh, Thanksgiving for them, which they love because they don't obviously do Thanksgiving here. And so yeah, my Kiwi no family comes in. Will there be pumpkin pie? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they love the pumpkin pie, which is unusual for them because they don't, they have pumpkin in soups. It's a savory here. And mm-hmm. so pumpkin as a sweet is really unusual, but they love it. They can't get enough of it. I spend two days making a turkey and there's like, yeah, yeah, where's the pumpkin pie? <laughs> they want the pumpkin pie. But yeah. So, yeah, so we've yeah, been here yeah. for 11 years, traveled around the country a little bit. Um, I also have some heritage that is Maori, uh, Maori, as you might say. Um, so I'm Naitahu. And so um, there's a, I got to visit my Marae. And, and I want to explore a little bit more of that as I get older. But yeah, it's been a, a welcoming place. And and once you get outside of Auckland, because Auckland is busy and chaotic as any other city. But everywhere you go, you're like, postcard, postcard, postcard. And it's beautiful. Mm. And North and North, mm. South Island are quite different. Um, you know, the South Island actually has big, rolling, beautiful hills. You feel like you're in Scotland. It's, it's, oh, a, and North Island nice. is, is really uh, beautiful. Hmm. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, hmm. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's as beautiful as you think it is. And the people are lovely. So we're really lucky to be here. I'm coming. You have an extra room or two? I do. I do. <laughs> right through there. And just waiting for you. Come on out. Come on out, Mary. It'll be great. Okay. <laughs> so um, you've talked on Instagram and other places about narcolepsy. So yeah. how is narcolepsy a superpower for writing? And tell me what it's like writing with, with narcolepsy. <laughs> so like automatic I didn't even writing. realize. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I didn't realize I had narcolepsy for many years. And... um. And my ex went into the doctor because she was convinced that she had narcolepsy. And so she went through all the tests. And I'm like leaning in the doorway. I swear to you, all this is true. I'm leaning in the doorway and I'm like filling the blanks wherever I need to. And I'm called upon. And the doctor turns to her and says, I don't think you have narcolepsy, but I think he might. And I was like, what? 
And so then the following week, they put all the things on my head and everything. And sure enough, I found out I had narcolepsy, which was for anybody who has, and that's a pretty tame ailment, um, as you might call it. But for anybody who has something that is kind of mucking with their lives a bit, when you do know what that is, that that changes your life. When you have when you have an identity of what that is, even if you can't control it, it just is like, okay, so I'm not lazy. <laughs> I'm not just somebody who's sleepy all the time. I have this thing. And once, mm-hmm. and so the first couple of years, I was probably a little bit more, you know, bitter about it. But then I started to realize the cool thing about narcolepsy like even when i'm speaking to you now i have to make sure i'm keeping all the cats in line because my mind kind of goes off in different directions um and i have to focus all the time because 80 85 of my day i'm just really tired i've got medication for it but that can only help so much so in the mm-hmm. beginning it was kind of a little bit down about it but then i realized that and the example i, I always give people is when you're lying down in bed at night and you're going to go to sleep and your mind starts to wander, you get those incredible, oh, that's an amazing idea. That's, I got to do something with that. I should write that down. No, I'm not going to write that down. I'll remember that in the morning. And then you don't remember it in the morning. That state that, that you're in, I'm in that state about 80% of my day. And that oh. allows my brain to be able to go into creative places that otherwise would not be available to me in that sense. So, and, and I've learned to take the governors off, let my mind wander. And create characters like Cain, which is a wolf bitten by a man that turns into a human. That's insane. <laughs> that is an <laughs> wow. insane idea. Yeah. But, but uh, it was the sort of thing that like, you know what? In my narcoleptic mind, it was like, that makes sense. And I just followed that path. And I've, and I've just learned to sort of let that creativity happen and enjoy that when it comes in. And I so think I a call lot it my superpower. Like because, that. Yeah, because it just sort of flows in. And, and I know how sort of flake it kind of sounds in a way, but the characters do speak. I don't hear them uh, like synesthesia or anything, but my characters speak to me. And, and, and if I'm doing it right, usually about a third of the way into the book, I'm just taking dictation at that point. I'm just sort of like mm. writing the story as they sort of explain it to me. And it's, that's an amazing nice. feeling. Well, I was just yeah. going to ask you what your writing process is and what makes a great character. Yeah. My writing process is, I think, because of even though, even with an narcolepsy, right? Um, you expect that somebody would sleep 10, 12, 15 hours. It doesn't matter. I get sleep for six hours, sleep for 12 hours. I get the same sort of recuperative sleep, not enough. So I get up crazy early. My day begins usually about 3 30 in the morning. Um, this is hmm. a, where, where I'm right now. It's a weekend. And so I woke up this morning at 4 10. No alarm. It's just like, time for you to get up. <laughs> Even though I'm tired, my brain starts racing. And I get in and I start writing. Um, mm. And I start creating mm. these, these people. And I think when it comes to creating characters, in some way, every character, for the most part, every character in an author's book is some slice of them. Um, but you also sort of like, I like to call it plagiarizing from life. So I'll take people that I knew, or if I see somebody in a store and they have a certain mannerism or a certain way about them, you kind of pull that in and that becomes sort of this amalgam of you and them. And that becomes the character. Mm-hmm. And so do it's you make really notes about, when you're out and about, or do you sometimes surreptitiously you know video somebody? That would, be, that would be probably the smart author way to do it. And if I were trying to sound more cool, I'd say, oh, yes, I have a notebook with me. And I, like there's an author who says, I always have two <laughs> books with me, one to read and one to write down my notes. Like I'm not <laughs> that organized. And like you're saying, too, 
I think if I started seeing people and that pull, pull up my notebook and start writing stuff down, that might cause some problem in various circles. So yeah, no, I just a problem the video them also. <laughs> yeah, even that was worse. my suggestion. Yeah, no, yeah, not so much. So, but no, so and yeah. I think if it's something that um, it does strike you, if it's something that sticks in your brain a bit, I just sort of put it in my subconscious. My subconscious cooks it around like little elves, like the Keebler elves. They start making stuff until they kick it back at me, and then it's half formed, sometimes fully formed. Um, but I, if I see something that sticks out enough, I usually kind of remember it, or it worked. We, it, it sort of wiggles its way back into my psyche. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, right. Sounds great. Well, um, are you a plotter as far as plotting your book out, or are you a? Do you wing it? Are you a pantser, as they call it? I, I love that. You know the terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, she's a writer so, too. <laughs> all right, great. Yeah. So, and some people don't like pantser. They're like, "No, I'm a discovery writer. You're a pantser. Is what you are." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's nothing wrong with that. Um, so. So for listeners, it's a, it's a, you can probably infer what it means. So there are people like, and I understood Isaac Asimov would treat his day, um, the old science fiction writer, he would treat his day almost like a work day, nine to five, and he had every scene plotted out, it, you know, what the characters are going to do and all that. I am not like that. I have sort of an idea about what where I'm going. Um, in fact, this third book I wrote, I had no idea <laughs> and, and it was funny. I started writing the opening scene and I was speaking to every now and then I speak to readers groups and there was a readers group in the UK. And I, and I'll, I like to say that she was from New Brighton because that sounds neat. <laughs> and a woman from New Brighton uh, asked me, so like, when will we find, I'm not going to do the accent. When will we find out more about Kane and wh- how he grew up and what it was like? Because he spent, so in short, Cain was a wolf, gets bitten by this man who's infected. The next day, he turns into a teenage boy. And over a year, he grows into an adult. But in that year time, this couple from British Columbia raises him. One's French, one's um, English. And so he learns French and English. And so Cain becomes this six foot seven French Canadian, naturally. Uh, But so this woman from (laughs) New Brighton. Uh, this, yeah, the, this one from New Brighton says, oh, when are we going to find out more about when he was growing up and what that was like and what his parents were like? And I remember going like, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing in book three. <laughs> this will be so you'll love this because what you're saying <laughs> is what I'm doing right now. And and she inspired that it just that question. And it was so smart. It was exactly right. And it's exactly where the story should have been. So, um, so Mm. yeah, so the book ended up taking not even a turn. It was just sort of that little bit of input, you know, it was that, that conversation. And that's the fun part of creativity. It's not all done in your two car carpeted garage, which is a thing they do in New Zealand, by the way, they carpet all the garages. It's mm-hmm. about going out and speaking to people. It's going about interacting with the world. And that's where a lot of the inspiration comes from. In this case, book three is largely inspired by a woman who allegedly is from New Brighton. <laughs> Just that well, one it's question. A great, that was it's a desire. great benefit from going to speak to a re- re- reader's group or a writer's group. Yeah. Is it a writer's group or a reader's group? Reader's group. Yeah. So like a book yeah, group. It, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They had a little book club, um, the group of them together, mm-hmm. and they got in a room and they, I zoomed into them and uh, they were asking me questions about all these different things. And it makes you think about some of the choices you made, because sometimes, like I mentioned, some of these sort of like these moments that happen into these sort of set pieces that happen, they just seem fun at the time or they kind of start to create. And now I've got to sort of back explain them how I got into that. And sometimes I just say, I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, that mm-hmm. sort of interaction with readers, that that is something that's 
obviously so different than when I first started writing and dabbling and writing some 25 years ago, whatever it might have been, is is there everybody talks about the next some of the negative interaction on social media about people who are negative and and dismissive. I don't have any problem with that. I was in rock radio for 12 years. I had death threats, <laughs> just the nature of being on the radio. So there's nothing you can say on your little social media page is going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> Someone oh, wanted dear. to kill me, not me. Yeah. But, uh. but so I've only had positive interactions that, that I've really only had positive. And it's just, it's such a, it's so neat to be able to write something in this room at four o'clock in the morning. And some months later, somebody in the UK or in Australia or somebody in the Midwest or in Los Angeles, because uh, I do have a good number of readers on the West Coast, that they write me and they say, oh, I love this moment, or this really made me laugh out loud, or and they're, they quote moments of my book back to me, you know, just, nice. and that's not even as, as, yeah, it's really neat. It's not even so much an ego thing, but the idea that you've connected with somebody that you'll never meet, but you've mm -hmm. touched them and you made for a brief moment in time, you've made the world just a little bit more fun or a little bit better. Isn't that, and that true? Is the greatest I, gift I wanted world. to ask you, what's the best moment you experience that's, that's when it. writing a book? That is it? That's yeah. I, I, I mean, aside from the creativity, which I love, obviously, that's sort of you're sort of um, you're sort of like you're putting your fingers into this strange sort of current of creativity. But just that sort of interaction with readers and, and knowing that because, you know, there's a lot that isn't great in the world at any given time and knowing that they were able to escape into that. Um, and I won't tell other people's stories, but a number of people have been going some really, really tough times, as you can expect. Mm -hmm. And, and I've had a good number of dozens of readers say, you listen, my father, this was happening or my mother, this was happening or this was happening in my relationship. But I knew at the end of the day, I could sit down and, and hang out with Kane and Imelda and just live in their world for a while. And it made it a little bit better. And that is, that's the greatest gift in the world that somebody can give me. And I suppose they feel it's something that they're getting from it too. Oh yeah. Mm. Nice. I love that. So do you have a, a goal when you're writing a story, when you're writing one of your books, do you have like a, a main goal or a main theme just that goes through every story that you write? Much smarter people than I have said that the theme comes after. You write something and you look <laughs> back and then you work out what the theme was. And then potentially um, you can kind of go and manipulate the story a bit to be able to fit that particular theme. Um, my wife actually is the one who said to me, um, that the themes in all my stories are about people that are sort of disenfranchised or forgotten about people that are sort of on the, on the fringes that do incredible things. And she is exactly right. I'm not sure what that says about me, but I have a real love for that kind of story, mm. you know, where uh, Imelda in this story is a part-time criminal and her ex uh, has ended up in prison. And so she's on her own and she's trying to make ends meet. And obviously Kane is that's as bad as fringe as you can get <laughs> used to be a yeah. wolf. And so yeah. when they come together and even though they're very different people from very different worlds, they, they come together and they can, they work it out and they're, they're sort of, they become more each individually and as, as a, as a, as a pack of two, as they call, them, but each individually become more of themselves. And I really love that idea because I think I mm -hmm. truly believe everybody has it within them. It doesn't matter who they are. But anybody can be a hero in some way. And so I guess I sort of celebrate that with the writing. So if I had any theme, it would be about sort of the people that you might pass by in any given day. And that person there, that person there, given the right circumstances, they can all be heroes. And so I love that. And so I guess that's mm. the theme that I might have. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so I think you've 
covered this, but maybe you have something else about this. What would be the most rewarding part of being an author? Yeah, it's, I think it's the, like I was saying, it's the interaction with people who are reading. I think it's also, you know, we, we all hope, like, (laughs) I never set out to write a monster book. I'm not even a big monster book reader. I read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and that's really kind of mm-hmm. it. I don't read monster books. So it's not a monster book. But what I do like in any of my stories is where it's a thriller, but there is like about 5% or so that's magic or there's just something a little bit extra. And so what I love about mm-hmm. writing is because I would love to believe and I think I do believe that there's at least 5% of magic in our world that we don't quite understand. And so my book the books that I write sort of embrace that idea that there's a little bit behind the surface we don't quite get. And, and where it may seem mundane and day to day that if you look for it, there's a wee bit of magic out there. And so, and so in writing that in my stories, that's, I sort of make that come true, that sort of idea. Mm -hmm. And I validate that, I guess, for my own life, that there is magic hidden if you just look for it. Oh, I love that. I totally believe that. I'll take your 5% and raise you to 10. I will. I think there's a a lot more magic out there than that. Yeah. You're probably. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, That's, that's great. So you're a public speaker as well as a TV personality and radio host. So let's talk about your public speaking. Is that something you love and tell us what a highlight is of that for you in that arena? Um, it's all storytelling, right? For the most part, it's all storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and public speaking is, you know, people fear public speaking more than death, <laughs> but <laughs> I know I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I found that in some way, um, that like radio was, and even like speaking with you now, like when I go in the next room, you know, I'm not going to be seeing down with my wife and speaking like this, she'd go like, what is wrong with you? Will you calm down? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so it's, it's still you, but a different facet of you. And so I, I loathe to say it's a character of you because that's not exactly correct. It's just some, it's like when you're at home and when you're at work and when you're at the grocery store, those are all different people, for lack of a good expression. Yeah. And so public speaking, you get a chance to be able to show them, I suppose, your best side um, or, or mm-hmm. at least a, a, a part of you. And wherever you're speaking, there's going to be a particular goal, you know, that, that you need to get them somewhere. And so that is also to self-storytelling. And, and uh, I guess one of the greatest experiences I had, um, this was a few years ago, I was actually doing, it was, it was sort of a combo public speaking with stand-up comedy. And, and I, my, my job is to do sort of 20 minutes at the top and then bring on some other folks. And when I got done with my 20 minutes, I said, hey, I got to go in a moment. And the person in the front row goes, oh, no. And it was like, <laughs> wow. I'm gonna, I, I felt like I was droning on. And this person was like so crushed that I was going to leave. That was such a neat thing because it wasn't, it was just this utterance that she didn't even mean to say <laughs> that she just wow. said out loud. It was like one of the, one of the sweetest things in the entire world. A couple people looked at her and she might've been embarrassed, but not at all. But that was neat. Uh, when you can connect with other people, you know, even as somebody yeah. who has a job now is, is spent in a room by myself, a solitary experience. It's always that interconnectedness that refuels you. Ah, yeah. Oh, for no, sure. no hecklers and, and no hecklers for you. 
No, are, no, is no, your topic no, no. Usually, are, are you usually speaking about writing when you're speaking? What's usually, your topic? Uh, it might be about media or it might be about storytelling. Um, storytelling is mm-hmm. in everything, right? Storytelling fits, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can fit into every single aspect. So usually about storytelling. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's a bank out here that somebody and I actually just start working for and speaking with those folks. It's like, well, how do we do storytelling in a bank? You have employees. You've got people that work here. You don't need to tell stories about CDs and mutual funds. <laughs> That's not a good story. Tell stories about the people who are here. Best stories are about people. And so, and that got them thinking about that. We talked a little bit more about this idea of creating characters, not fake, but just characters within the group. And now they've sort of enacted on that. This idea of actually, you know, show you behind the scenes about how this person's working rather than just putting on that glossy face, show how hard this person's working. We can relate to that. And that's what it is. It's just finding those stories in various places in, in, in your everyday life. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. what our podcast is about. That's right. For we, sure. we, we love to find out what people's stories are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Dick, what would you like our listeners to have as a takeaway today? And also, as part of that, would you please suggest where readers should start if they want to experience your books? Um, so I'm going to, if there's one takeaway, I'm going to do a reverse on you. Okay. Because I do find that as a storyteller myself, I've got to know when to listen. And one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody else is to, is to listen to somebody else. Is Don't sit there and wait for their lips to stop moving so you can say your thing. One of the greatest things you can do is just listen to what they're saying and really be, being all in. You know, and if you want to do it from, from a selfish point of view, um, you will find that if you do that with somebody at a party, if you say all of 10, 15 words or just ask questions about what they're into, they'll walk away. And you've said maybe a dozen words. They'll walk away going like, that was one of the greatest conversations I've ever met. Right. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But there's so there's so much joy in learning about somebody. And we don't and we just don't listen to each other, each other as much anymore because we all got to get our stuff in there. And so mm-hmm. I would just say, even as a storyteller, that I enjoy the moments where I can be quiet. And I can listen to somebody else's experience and what they've gone through and just be really into that moment. And that's a gift to them both and me. That's great. That's and great. when it comes to the story, and when it comes to the stories, if you're a book reader, um, you have, we have Kane is, is a good way to start and don't go into mm-hmm. it thinking that it's going to be a big monster book. Of course there's a monster in there, but it's not written as that. And um, I just got informed um, because podium audio has picked up the first three books the first huh. one comes out on, it's available now for pre-order uh, on Amazon, but um, that audio it will be here January 16th. And I've got two amazing narrators and I can't wait to hear it because like I said, writing in this room by myself and now I've got these two actors that are going to act out my book. That's mm. surreal. I can't wait for that. And yeah, so that comes out on January 16th, but it's available for uh, pre-order now. Oh, nice. that's, that's exciting. Well, uh, I hope yeah, our audience uh, listen to that. Um, yeah. thank you so much. Um, I, I'm like that person in the audience. I want to hear more, but in the interest <laughs> of time, <laughs> our right. guest today on Late Boomers has been Dick Wybrow. He's the author of more than a dozen humorous supernatural thrillers. His newest book will be out on December 29. And again, his audiobooks will be out in January. You can see his website at dickwybrow.com that's w-y-b-r-o-w and his instagram is a lot of fun because he posts a lot of videos 
So thank you, thank Dick. You. And you can reach his Instagram at Dick Wybrow. Thanks again. Thank and you. And we want to re- request our Late Boomers listeners to please subscribe to our YouTube Late Boomers podcast channel and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to, please. We thank you in advance for that. Also, please follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers. We always strive to give you food for thought and inspiration. Thanks again, Dick. Thank you. Thank you both. I really had a lot of, lot of fun with y'all. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.